this week, we are ending our brief two-week look into stewardship, which is where we just look at the reality that God has given us everything and how do we uh, steward well or manage well the life and the, the gifts and the talents and the resources that he's given us. So if you see this card in your seat, that is that is for something that our members do as an act of worship where they consider, Lord, what do you want us to give this year? And this is the pledge card for that. If you're a visitor with us, obviously, we do not want you to have anything to do with that unless you just really want to. We're not going to stop you. But... Um, if uh, that is what that card is for. So um, this is the week before the week before Thanksgiving, I believe. Is that right? Week before, yeah, I think I have it right. Anyway, and so we're very, very grateful that you're here. And it's a, just a season. We're kicking full on into the holiday season. We actually got snow on Friday, which is crazy. And is this supposed to snow tomorrow? Did I see that? It's nuts. I'm not sure what state we're in. But if it's weird and it's weather, it's probably Oklahoma. So that is where we are at. So just enjoy this time. We are... Um, Next week, Carson will be preaching, and then we are going to kick off Advent the following uh, Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So uh, get ready for that. We'll have a four-week uh, roll into Advent, and so that will be just a, it's a time where we just, we love it as a church. It's my favorite time of the year, and if it's not your favorite time of the year, then you probably need to change your favorite time of the year to that one, because it's the best one. So uh, without further ado, let's pray and get back into a, just a spirit of, of worship and of singing to the Lord for all that he has done for us. So please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful to you. We just, we give thanks. We have so much to be grateful for. Uh, you have done infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. And you continue not only to uh, take care of us spiritually, you have done all that we need. There's no more for you to do, Lord. You've paid all of the penalty of our sin. And yet you continue to bless us with your presence, with the life of the body, the fellowship of the saints. You take care of our needs. You take care of our provisions. And we just give you thanks. Would you give us a heart of gratefulness toward you as we look at what it looks like to, um, to give with great joy, that you have given us the great privilege of the gospel and of a life in the body. And not only have you done that, but you have equipped us and given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we return to you, Lord, to sing praises to your name and to worship you. And we just take a moment, Lord, that if there is anything going on in our heart, we would just bring ourselves to you, not some kind of facade that we create, not some sort of holy, fake heart that we bring to church, but just the real us. We come to you in our brokenness. We come to you in our great need. We come to you needing to worship our King, needing to worship our Creator. So help us to do that. Fill us with your Spirit to worship you in spirit and in truth, to be refreshed, to be renewed, to be restored, and help us to walk that out this morning. In Christ's risen name we pray. Amen.
elementary-aged human. Now you can f- follow whoever goes out that door first. Follow them. Hopefully they know where they're going. And uh, we'll head out that way. Hey, children, they're amazing. They are hot messes, and they are amazing. But if you would have known me as a child, oh my word, I was maybe the hottest mess you ever met. So um, still a hot mess, but amen to that, right? Says my mom. So there's, yep, I was a disaster, <laughs> honestly. Honestly, I'm amazed that I'm alive, uh, much less, um, you know, where. Anyway, here I am. So the Lord's good. He's done a lot. Not, gonna, not about what he's done in my life right now. It's about what he's done in the life of uh, Philemon and Paul, which is where we're going to be today. So uh, we have been in a study of the book of Ephesians. And we, every year we take a break for a couple weeks, and we have a few weeks of stewardship, which is, it does a couple of things. One, it gives an opportunity for us to, as a church, to remember that nothing that we have is ours, that everything that we have is from the Lord, including our very breath, our life, all of our resources, all of our time, all of our talents, everything that we have is from the Lord. And even if we work hard with the money that we receive, he gave me a brain that enables me to do those things and a body that enables me to work and all of these things. It's all from God. And stewardship is this idea that I am responsible. He's given us responsibility over some things, and I want to really carefully and wisely manage what he's given us. So every year, we take a few weeks off, and we pause to remember that. Now, if you're visiting here for the first time, you may be thinking, oh, great, this is the, they're talking about money. We, we're the worst money askers ever because... 
we really don't want your money. We will say it over and over every single year. What we want is we want you to give your heart fully to Jesus. If your heart is fully Jesus, is then the money, he takes care of all that. He turns your heart and your wallet to where he wants it to go. And so this year, we've been looking at the book of Philemon, which for us to go over an entire book in the Bible in two weeks is nothing short of a miracle. And we will complete it today, Lord willing. And so we will be in Philemon chapter, or excuse me, verse 17. There are no chapters in Philemon. There's just one. It takes up not even a whole page in your Bible. So we'll be in Philemon, verse 17, through the end of the little book, through verse 25. And um, last week, Treb was talking about this relationship that Paul had with this man, Philemon. So Philemon was a, a letter that was sent to the church, probably in Colossians, and uh, to the Colossians, excuse me, the Colossian church, and was sent along with uh, that letter and probably Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, excuse me, I'm just mixing up the, the names of the letters and the people in the cities, but it's all together, they're all there, it's in the same book, if I say it wrong, you can just correct me later, but the idea is that this is a letter, an epistle that Paul wrote to a man named Philemon, and the, the subject of that is a guy named Onesimus, who had escaped from Philemon, was his either a, a bond slave or a bond servant or a slave of some kind, had escaped, found Paul in Rome, become a believer, and was now returning with this letter to Philemon as a slave who had run away. And it's this incredible picture of the gospel. At the center of this book is a relationship between Onesimus, who has wronged somebody, and Philemon, who has now has an opportunity to truly apply the gospel to another person. And mediating that relationship is, of course, Paul, who's writing the letter and asking Philemon to do some things. Treb looked last week at the reality that we get to um, love with great joy. And the first part of this book has the word love a whole bunch of times, like he, in verse 5, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And then he's going to ask him to do some things. In verse 9, I appeal to you on the basis of love, that I as a prisoner and an old man in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. In verse 12, I'm sending my very heart to you. This is an incredibly personal letter. Paul is not uh, explaining a, a, a new doctrine. He is not teaching some uh, great theological treatise like he's doing in Romans. It is a letter from Paul to Philemon saying, you've got to do some things, and you've got to do some things because of the gospel. So we looked at this reality that love is a part of the great joy that we have. We can give love, and that is, a, and it gives, uh, excuse me, it's given Paul great joy, and now we're going to look at today and the reality that, that we, can, uh, we can also give with great joy, and some of the things that the Lord is calling us to do that. So if you will join me, we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into verse 17. Lord, we thank you for this tiny book in the Bible. We thank you for these people, these names that are written in this book. Uh, of course, we think about Paul, that we'll see him one day, but we'll also see Philemon. We'll also see Onesimus. We'll see these people who are real people who existed in real places and real time. They really walked. They really breathed. They really struggled. They, um, they got sick. They got scared. They got worried. And they had to apply the truth of the gospel in real life. And so we pray that you would help us to do that. We're grateful that you have, in your kindness and your grace, given us the role of, of, as stewards, Lord, of uh, broadly, of course, as humans of this, this planet, Lord, but stewards of each other, relationships, the time you've given us, the resources you've given us, the gifts you've given us. And so we want to submit all of that to you. Help us learn from this little book. Help us learn more of what the gospel looks like when we apply it in real life to the people that are around us. And we ask all this in Jesus' risen name. Amen. Okay, so verse 17 says this. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This is Paul saying this to Philemon. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, in writing this with my own hand, I will pay it back, not to mention that, I owe you my very, uh, that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sent his greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, 
So Paul, speaking to Philemon, said, he has a couple of these if-then statements in verses uh, 17 and 18. First, if you consider me a partner. So partner, like if you, it means, just a, it means to join with somebody in, a, in the, the same task. Like you're partnering, you're alongside. And Paul is asking Philemon, listen, if you consider me a partner in the work of the gospel, if you consider me, and think about this question. Like you can kind of esoterically say that we're partners with Paul in the gospel. But Philemon actually knew Paul. And he's saying, hey, I consider you a partner in the gospel. Do you consider me a partner in the gospel? It's somewhat rhetorical. If you consider me a partner, I think Paul's assuming that he does. But then look at what he asks after that. If you say that you partner with me in the work of the gospel, do what? Welcome him. How? As you would welcome me. So I think when Paul was, would come into town here, Philemon, they loved him. and They had an incredibly intimate, deep, tender relationship and Philemon would have welcomed Paul into his home and into his arms. And what he is saying to Philemon is, when Onesimus comes back, welcome him as you would welcome me. Don't reject him. Don't get mad at him. Don't punch him. Don't put him in jail. Don't sue him. Welcome him. And not just welcome him like, all right, come on in, Onesimus, fine, we'll talk. Welcome him like I was coming. It's an incredible look. And in... Um, in the next if-then statement, he has in verse 18, look at this. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So the first one, if you consider me a partner, that's somewhat rhetorical. The first one, or the second one, excuse me, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, he absolutely has done something wrong and he owes him something. Uh, no one knows exactly what Winnesimus had done. Uh, scholars think that he might have stolen something and ran away from Philemon or he just ran away and cost him financially. Either way, Onesimus had done him wrong and owed him something. This is not rhetorical. Paul, is, Paul knows that he's done something wrong. He knows that he owes it something. And then what does he tell him? Charge it to me. And he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. So normally Paul would, uh, would dictate a letter and someone else would write it down. And some of the other letters you'll see like, hey, this is you know, so-and-so. I'm the guy writing the letter. And they would dictate it and like, uh, someone else would write it down. Paul either wrote this whole letter in his by hand, which maybe why it's so short. He's like, I'm not used to this. It's got to be short. Or maybe he had paused in this part and he had dictated a part and he says, no, listen, I will pay you back. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. This is like a, a real letter that was sent to them. We would have seen the difference in the hand, in the handwriting. I'm writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then he gives this great, not to mention, uh, you owe me your very self. So just remember, uh, your entire, uh, you know the gospel because I told it to you. So there's that, but here's what I want to focus on, is I want you to be kind and uh, gracious to this kid I'm sending back to you. So this idea, though, of one of partnership in the gospel and welcoming him, and then this if-then statement of forgiveness and this promise to repay it, it's this incredible picture of the gospel. So uh, two stories, one, one from, from way back in Genesis. If you remember the story, you've got uh, Joseph, he is... Uh, this beloved son, and he's got this other uh, full brother, Benjamin, and Joseph has this dream, and his brothers then sell him to slavery in Egypt, and he goes to Egypt. This is a great story. Read it in Genesis, and he becomes uh, like second in command of the entire country, and then there's a famine, and his brothers come down, and Joseph sees his brothers, and there's no food where they are, so he had had these dreams, and he stored up all this food, so he sends his brothers back with food and says, don't come back without your little brother, and so they run out of food again, and they have to go back, and Judah tells his dad, listen, here's the deal. We can't go back without Benjamin, but I know that if we go back, it's going to kill you if we take Benjamin and something happens to him. So here's what I promise. Whatever happens to him, I will take full account for it. I will, I will take his place. So they go back to see Joseph. Joseph, knowing all these things, he uh, kind of plays a trick on them, fills their bags full of grain, and then puts his, his special silver cup in Benjamin's bag. As they start heading back, he sends some Egyptian guys to go get them. And they open up their bag, and voila, there it is. And so Joseph says, okay, then Benjamin has to stay with me. So Judah comes up and says, he can't. Uh, it's going to break my father's heart. He is, his very heart is with this boy. I'm going to stay in his place. And then at that, Joseph breaks down and, and says, I'm your brother. And there's this incredible moment in Genesis where he reveals himself, and it's this beautiful picture uh, out of all of this brokenness that happens with that family. Judah, though, had said, 
I'm going to take his place. Whatever is held to his account, I have to take it. It's the same picture of Paul back in here when he's saying, Onesimus uh, uh, is my very heart. He's saying to him, if he's done anything and he owes you anything, I'm going to pay it. Charge it to me, I will pay it back. I don't think Paul probably needs to say, I will pay it back. I'm pretty sure Philemon believes that Paul would pay it back. I don't know, what, what does Paul do? It doesn't matter. Paul can just ask the Lord and the Lord will provide whatever Paul needs. And he says, if he owes you, I will pay it. So this is another picture, though, not just of, if you look at, at Judah and Benjamin, but this other picture of, of, of forgiveness and the word imputation. So the idea of the theological word to impute something means that I have, I have a debt and that debt is then applied to me, right? So us under the law, we have sin, and the law reveals the sin of humanity. All you got to do is read the Ten Commandments. You can read through the list and think, okay, uh, maybe I haven't done those things. But then Jesus comes back and says, well, you say that you never murdered anybody. Have you ever hated your brother in your heart? You say you've never committed adultery. Have you ever lusted after a woman in your own heart? Then you're guilty of the whole thing. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the word of God reveals to us and in our hearts as the Spirit convicts us that we are in trouble, that we have a debt to a holy God, that our sin puts us in a place and the wages of that sin is death and I'm now owed something because of my sinfulness. And I'm owed something that I cannot pay back. This is the situation that every unbeliever is put in. They realize I am sinful in front of a holy God. What do I do? And this is where the gospel comes screaming in. Because Jesus comes and he says, these guys owe a debt they can't pay. Remember the old song? I owed a debt I could not pay. Remember that song? No? Okay. I did. Jenny will, because my wife remembers every song that she's ever sung from church camp her entire life. And so um, this idea that we owed a debt we could not pay, Jesus came and paid the debt for us. This is, remember Jesus tells this story in Matthew 18, and he is giving this parable about what the kingdom of God is like. And there's this... Uh, so Peter, of course, Jesus is like, you've got to forgive people. And Peter comes up to Jesus. This is Matthew 18, 21. Peter comes and he's like, hey, uh, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven? Peter's like, I can count that high. I've got ten fingers, so I can, get, I can get to seven. I can forgive him seven. I can kind of figure that one out. And Jesus is like, I tell you, not, 70, not seven times, but 70 times seven. By the way, don't actually ever count that. That's not, Jesus is not doing math there. He's telling Peter, you always forgive. Then he tells this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who, a king, excuse me, wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. So talent was a, was a big like wheel of, of metal. And uh, some people estimate it would be worth about 150,000 years wages. So at current wages, you're talking in excess of $10 trillion. That would be a large debt. If I was like, you owe me $10 trillion, you're like, okay, I'm going to get to work. I'm going to start paying on that. Impossible, right? An impossible, inconceivable amount of money. So this guy owes this person an inconceivable amount of money. He's not able to pay it. The master orders that he and his wife and children all be sold to repay the debt. Servant falls on his knees before him, says, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. So the master took pity and he let him go. But the servant goes out, finds another guy who owes him a hundred bucks and says, grabs him, begins to choke him and says, pay you what you owe me. Pay me what you owe me. And so the fellow servant fell and said the exact same thing he'd said to the king, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused and went off and had the man thrown in prison. When the king finds out about it, he gets really mad and calls him in and says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to, you begged for mercy. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back what he owed. Then Jesus says this in verse 35, in response to Peter's question, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Ouch. People have asked me before, they're like, do I have to forgive them? I'm like, what do you mean by have to? Like, if you don't, am I going to shoot you? No. Does God say you have to forgive? Yes. Yes, he does. God said, just his word, this is how my heavenly Father will treat you if you don't forgive like he forgives you. We're commanded in the Bible to forgive one another. Some people ask, have asked us, you know, uh, why do you guys just preach? Why do you do a stewardship thing and then you have to preach through the whole book of the Bible? Why do you preach through Ephesians? Why do you do? And 
I got to take the, my older two kids to the uh, Philharmonic last night. And this is giant hall, and there's just all these incredibly gifted people up there playing all these instruments. It's just, there's so much going on. And you've got all these different things going on up there. And there's one guy, the conductor. And he is making sure that everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing. If everybody just plays the music on the page like they want to, it's chaos. It doesn't sound good at all. It's just a bunch of horns honking and violins, violining and cellos strumming or whatever they do. And you've got all these instruments just blaring. It's chaos. However, if they all look at the conductor, he tells them when to start. He's like, we're going to do this music. We're going to do this thing. And it's going to make beautiful music. Jesus is the conductor of the church. And we're all, we all have a role to play. We've all got an instrument to play. And the word is the music. Now, we can all just stand over there in the corner and, but it sounds terrible. And this is a lot of what the church is doing today, is they're saying, you know what, I'm going to stand over here now. I want to play my own thing. And Jesus is up there conducting, going, the music's right in front of you. We preach the word because we are under the authority of the word, like a musician is under the authority of the music. The musician's job is not to look at the music and say, well, I don't like all these notes. I'm just going to change them. That's the composer's job. The composer writes the music, the musician plays the music, God writes the word, we obey it. So when Paul tells Philemon, if he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me, Philemon is not going to invoice Paul. That's not what he wants. He says, I will pay it back. And then look in verse 20, I do wish, brother that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. That word refresh is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew eleven twenty eight when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. He means to rest from his labors and be restored. Like to go on, not hiatus, but not vacation even, but like the Sabbath, to rest. I want to have a Sabbath for my heart. Why? Because this concerns Paul. Paul loves Onesimus like his own son. He says, I appeal to you for my son who is my very heart. I'm sending him to you. Philemon could legally put Onesimus in jail. Paul is in jail writing a letter to Philemon saying, forgive him because God in Christ has forgiven you. So Paul asks him to do this incredible thing that he can refresh his heart in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 21 to say, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So this idea of, Jesus says the same thing, right? He says if someone, you know, slaps you on the cheek, turning their cheek, if someone says to carry my coat one mile, carry it two, the, the concept of doing more than someone asks you to is part of being a believer. Why? Because that's what God does. God does more than we can ask or imagine, Right? Like, I, you pray for God to help you, and he overabundantly helps us. We ask for God to, to save us, and he gives us grace, and then gives us his very self in Jesus. God does more than we can conceive of. So for Paul to call Philemon to look like his Savior is not something crazy, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Here's the deal. If Philemon's heart is in any way, shape, or form in a good place, he's going to read this letter and good things are going to happen. If Philemon reads this letter, and there's no, there isn't a Philemon 2 or whatever after Hebrews next, which we've already been through. But if you, this is apparently written during Paul's first imprisonment. And most likely Paul went and saw Philemon. He went back and visited and he got to see Winnesimus again. And he tells him, I'm coming. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you. So that I think that this has probably got resolved. We won't know until glory. And we get up there and meet him and be like, oh my gosh, tell me, how did that, what was it like when you met Winnesimus? What was it like when you saw this? How did you respond? What was it like getting this letter from Paul? I can't wait to ask him these questions. But there's this great parallel here between what Paul is telling Philemon and what the Lord is telling us about his work in our heart. God partners with us in the work of the gospel. It's incredible that he does that. It's, there's way better ways for him to do that. I'm not like judging what the Lord does. I just know that I'm, and humans are, we're trouble. We're, we're inefficient. We don't do things right. We mess things up all the time. And yet God in his grace and his, and his wisdom 
decided that the gospel would go out through the body of Christ, through all these broken and redeemed people. In order to do that, he took everything that was owed to him because of our sin, and he took it upon his own shoulders and died on the cross, and that payment is paid in full. It's done. It's completed. It's finished. When Jesus said it is finished, it, it was another word that we used for canceling a debt. When a debt was completed, the guy would stamp it on there, paid. The debt that humanity owed against a holy God because of their sin was paid in full on the cross, and Jesus went to the tomb having paid it, rose from the dead, defeating death, and we can have life in him because of that. And that can refresh the hearts of everyone who was involved in that process. And because of walking through that with the Lord, the church is able to do far more than we, have even, we can even conceive of doing. Why? Because the Lord himself is with us. We're not doing it. I'm not over here telling you, okay, you've got to do these things. We're going to get to application in just a second here. Before I do that, though, none of it is just work harder and try harder. Like, oh, you need to forgive somebody, so I want you to try really hard. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you are absolutely, utterly incapable of doing what you're supposed to do. You understand that? Onesimus was utterly and entirely incapable of paying back the debt that he owed to Philemon. He needed an, someone to intercede, an advocate, to come between his judgment and his reality and pay it for him. And that's what Jesus does for us. He comes between the reality of my sin and the holiness of God, and he pays it for us. And then he doesn't leave us there. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He makes us into new creatures, and he fills us with the Spirit to walk a life that is impossible apart from his direct working in our lives. That's the gospel. Paul was coming back. It's his, uh, verse 22 is a bit of a threat, right? Like He's like, okay, I'm writing you these things, but guess what? I'm coming. Not just, I'm going to get out of here, and I'm coming to visit. And when I get there, he doesn't say, when I get there, you better have done this. But that's in there. Guess who else is coming back? Jesus. We can all talk about how and when and what the details of all that are. Believers believe that Jesus is coming back. Why? Because he said, I'm coming back. That's why you believe it. He ascended into heaven, and the angel's like, Jesus is going to come back. And then he writes uh, through other people, writes the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is returning, and when he returns, he's going to judge the works that we do. When Philemon is going to stand before Paul when he comes to visit, he's going to want to come up, and he's going to want to have Onesimus set aside and be like, praise be to God. This is all good. Thank you for your letter. He doesn't want to come up, and Philemon's got Onesimus in jail. That would make a very angry Paul. Jesus is coming back. And what you and I do, he's going to judge. Not for salvation, but for reward. And that's an incredible motivation for us. This is the letter ends. You've got these guys, Epaphras and Mark and Aristarchus. These guys were around with him, uh, doing work with him. They were in Rome with him. Um, apparently, Epaphras was actually in jail with him at the time. And as you read these, uh, these names, it's kind of easy just to skip over them. But these are real. Mark wrote Mark, and Luke wrote Luke, and Aristarchus, I guess, didn't write a book. And Demas, he walks away at the end of 2 Timothy. Demas loved the world and took off. But don't be like Demas. But you can be like these other guys. They were with Paul, real people in real time who were really with him. Philemon knew their names. They had relationships with them. These books are alive because these people were alive. And then he says, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So what do we do with all this? Um, what does it look like for us to give with great joy? See, Onesimus needed grace. Philemon could give it to him because God in Christ had given him grace. He was able to give what was not his because God had given him what only he could give. So Philemon could give forgiveness and grace to Onesimus. And he could do it, not grudgingly, not like, oh, not mad about it, not grumpy, not, not traumatized, just because God enabled him to. He could give grace with great joy. So my question to you then is, is there someone that you need to forgive? You're like, oh, why? I'm saying because it's in the Bible. So there it is. There for all of us. Is there someone who has wronged you? that owes you something that you need to forgive. I'm not saying if you have some kind of business debt against somebody, don't just talk to them about it, whatever. I'm not saying all that. What I'm saying is, if I'm saying those words, there's someone that you need to forgive, who pops into your mind? And whatever that is, guess what? 
Whatever it is that you have against them, the penalty for their sin, Jesus already bore on the cross. And grace releases all resentment to the cross. Grace releases all resentment to the cross. You can be freed from it. Are you buried under the weight of resentment and unforgiveness? That is not a burden you have to bury anymore. Jesus carried that on the cross to Calvary, and he took it away from you. If you choose to drag your cross along, I guess that's not the cross Jesus is talking about carrying. You can forgive people because God has forgiven you. You can give grace with great joy because God has given you grace with great joy. And not just a grace to save you, but a grace to transform you into a person who can forgive people for the unforgivable. Not that there's not consequences. I understand we talk about this all the time with our kids. Like if I take my car and I drive it into my neighbor's house because I'm mad, um, Jesus is, has paid the penalty for that sin. I do not bear the penalty for that sin anymore. I do have to face up to the consequences of driving a car into my neighbor's house. My insurance rates, there would be a giant cacophony of disaster if I did that, right? Broken relationship with neighbors, that we don't have a car, insurance, money, blah, 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 blah. The consequences remain because we live in a world that has consequences. Sorry. If you uh, hit yourself in the face with a hammer, it's going to hurt. So if you do that on a regular basis, I'm going to ask you, please don't hit yourself in the face with a hammer. If you continue to do it, I'm probably going to take the hammer away. If you continue to do it, hopefully we can get you and tie your arms down to you so that you can knock enough sense into your head while you're not doing that, shooting yourself in the face with a hammer. All this to say, we live in a world with consequences. So you can escape the penalty. You can never escape the consequences. If you're married and you have an affair, that sin is forgiven. The consequences, they're bad, okay? Onesimus would still have to face some consequences. He probably already has. Do you think his heart has not gone through the ringer in all of this? For him to, you know how scared he was going up to Philemon? He carried the letter. Talk about guts. Talk about walking out your faith. Paul's like, oh yeah, you've got to go back home. You've got to make this right. Oh, and here's a letter. Make sure you give this to him before you get there. <laughs> Say, hey, before you shoot me, read it. Give grace with great joy. Uh, you can give refreshment and rest with great joy. So... We have a group of people around this church, and we're not a large church, and this entire thing runs because we have volunteers who do things, who watch kids, who uh, scrub toilets, who uh, set up chairs, who uh, make sure that there's toilet paper everywhere, who make us coffee, who do all the things that a church has to get done. If you're not serving in some level in this church, there is someone who is doing a job that needs a break, and they need you to take it for them. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's serving with children. I don't know if it's making coffee on a Sunday. I don't know if it is organizing a team to, of, of, uh, of people to, to clean or a team of people to do hospitality. There is someone in this church who is working their tail off, serving the Lord, and they probably need a break. If you're not serving in some way in this body, ask the Lord what he wants you to do and then do whatever he tells you. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about making something weird or you're going to hear a voice. Just in a minute, we're going to get a moment to respond to the Lord in worship. We're going to have this beautiful process, and we're going to go through communion. In that time, at some point, or throughout this week, just ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to give rest to somebody in my body, in this body of Christ in which I serve, and in which I uh, am a part of? So you can give grace with great joy. You can give rest and refreshment with great joy. And then you can give this great hope. Here's what that means. Um, Philemon, if he doesn't forgive Onesimus, he's going to dread Paul's return, right? Not fun. But if the gospel gets in and refreshes this entire circumstance, Philemon forgives Onesimus, and they're walking together in this great brotherhood, and he starts discipling him and all these things. It'd be this amazing relationship. How is he going to view Paul's return? With joy, right? With great joy. For the believer who's running away from Jesus, Jesus' return is terrifying. Because you're like, Jesus is going to come back and tell me I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> Here's what Jesus is going to do. You're saved by grace through faith. You understand me? You do not earn favor with God. You do not earn his love. He loves you even when we're awful. This is the gospel. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. This is what God does for us. His grace is given to us as unmerited favor 
because of who he is, not because of how great you are. So his love and his grace, those are his to give, not because of what you do. And then you receive those things by faith. But there is a reward that Christ promises for those who walk by faith. So if you're not walking by faith and you're worried about Jesus' return, what is the solution? Is it to deny that Jesus is coming back? No. Any more than Philemon could sit there and say, Paul's not really coming back. I'm sure he's going to probably stay in jail or he'll get trapped in the storm or he'll get bit by a snake. Oh, no, all, all those things happen, and he still made it. So, although I was on the way to Rome, but still, don't bet on that. Jesus is coming back, okay? I don't know when, I'm not sure how, but he's coming. There will be a time where he will look at our lives and evaluate our lives and say, what, this is, was done by faith, this was not, what was not will get burned up, and the faith will remain. That's it. If you're not walking in obedience to the Lord in something right now, and you believe that the Lord is calling you to do that, the response is to surrender to him and do what he says. Okay? Watch the conductor. Read your music. Play your instrument. Hallelujah. All right? It's not that complicated. One of the things that we get the joy of doing here is uh, we get to play basketball in these peach baskets. And uh, just kidding. So these are not for basketballs. They are for pledge cards. So if you're... Um, as a member of this church, if you're a guest, this does not really apply to you. Like I kind of joked about earlier, like if you want to fill one out, that's great. And we're not going to burn it or anything. Um, it is an act of worship for us as a body of believers that we get to understand what Christ has done for us and to say, Lord, I want to give to you all of my time and my talents and my treasures. Uh, the breath that I have is yours. The money that you resources you've given me are yours. The gifts you've given me are all yours. The pledge card, yes, there's a, it's there for us to thoughtfully consider because we are stewards of God's resources, Lord, what do you want us to give in 2023? It's just a moment in time for us to think, for couples to come together, for single people to come together to say, okay, Lord, what do you want us to give financially this next year? Write it down and give it here as an act of worship to the Lord. Like, we don't bring tithes and offerings, right? We're not bringing, you're not filling this thing full of grains and berries or whatever. It's a beautiful picture of dedicating something to the Lord. So that's what that process is. As we um, close our time here, we're going to do that while we take communion. So what that's going to look like is communion will look relatively normal, but as you come up to uh, take communion, you're going to drop your uh, envelopes, if that's what you're doing today, in there. Do not feel like you need to. Do not feel under compulsion. I want you to read back, back to what Paul says. I do not want to do this without your consent, but so that any favor, any giving that you do would be spontaneous and not forced. The Lord does not want you to give under compulsion. It's a cheerful giver. So if you're feeling like, oh, blah, 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 don't, don't do it. This is as an act of worship, willfully and freely given to the Lord. If you're a guest, please just come and take communion if you're a believer and uh, put your envelope in there. And so we're going to pray, and that's going to be how we're going to end our stewardship time. So please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for just your great love for us for your great concern for us. We thank you for this tiny letter of Philemon in 25 little verses. You have so much to teach us, so much to show us about the gospel, so much to show us and remind us that you have paid all that we could never pay and that our only response to you can be absolute joy, absolute surrender to you. You who are so good, who shows us the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that we can rejoice in you, that we can surrender to you, that we can turn our hearts over to you, and that we can walk in obedience to the word, that we can look at you as our conductor and that we can follow your lead, that we can submit to you, be filled by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we get to do that. So we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your grace, for this moment that we get, Lord, to Write some things on a card and put it up here, Lord, that as, a, as an act of worship to you, as an act of trust, you will provide what we have pledged. But Lord, just mainly as a response to your grace to us, that we want to respond in, in love to the love that you have lavished us with. Help us to continue to worship you, Lord Jesus, as we continue in our service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. As Brandon talks about refreshing and renewal, on Thursday, I, I literally lost my voice completely. So I called him on Friday. I was like, hey, listen, here's the deal. I, there's just no way I can get through Sunday. And so he spent his Saturday 
freeing me to be able to come up here and spend a Saturday to prepare a sermon. He was not ready to preach. I was excited about doing it, but of course Brandon does it in an immensely wonderful way. And so being able to free me to be able to try and rest my voice and being able to step in is one of those great sort of biblically beautiful parts of gospel partnership. And I told him a long time ago, for a long time, for years before Brandon came, this was We'd have just, we'd had to cancel. I'd have just quit. We'd have been done. But having Brandon step in and be like, no, I can, I love Jesus and I love to preach. And so it's, it's a tremendous gift. And so being able to give out of your abundance to be able to serve those around you is really what this idea of great joy is about. And this table is this incredible expression of exactly what Paul is asking from Philemon. It is this outpouring of grace that none of us truly deserve, but every one of us is given in Christ. And Jesus demonstrates that, and he calls us to demonstrate this to others. Now, we, of course, cannot give the grace that gives freedom and eternal life, but we can be an expression of Christ's love, pointing the world to a God who desperately loves them, and a world that is in desperate need of Jesus. And so this table is really that incredible picture, and it goes so wonderfully with this book. But on that very night that Jesus was betrayed, the very night that everybody would abandon him and take off and run and split, and Jesus would be left to stand on a sham of a trial and be put through the most horrible, torturous death imaginable, all for the sake of loving the creation that he made. On that very night, he would gather his disciples after dinner, after that um, moment of being able to celebrate the Passover, and he would give them something that they then would hand on that we would celebrate some 2,000 years later that would link all of us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he gathered with them after that uh, meal, and he took a loaf of bread, and he said, after giving thanks, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. It is poured out for you as the new covenant, that as long as you take up this cup and this bread, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. This cup, this bread, is a proclamation of what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's an expression of everything that we don't deserve, but everything that is lavished upon us. And we have new life in Christ through this table, through what Christ has done for us, and it is something that we are called to give away. It is not for us to hold on to and guard. It is hold, hold, called for us to hold on to and distribute. We are called to love the way that Christ loved with great joy and to give the way that Christ has given with great joy. It is an incredible pleasure. And Brandon mentioned this morning we're going to be doing it just a little bit differently. Uh, we will have baskets in the front and the back. We'd love for you to bring your pledge cards. If you didn't, that's okay or you need more time. Uh, I've attached that pledge card to a post on Realm. So if you just go into Realm, you can print it and send it in. The idea is that it helps us as a church begin to dream and plan for 2023. Uh, it's not only an act of individual sort of, hey, Lord, this is, we're committed to this community, what this looks like, but it helps us as elders and leaders to be able to understand what the year um, is going to look like. And so it's an important part of all of our life together as a community. So again, if you're a guest or you're only here, been here a few weeks, or this is not really your church home, this is not for you, you're welcome to fill out a prayer card, drop it in there. Our prayer team would love to pray over those. There is nothing, um, an obligation about any of this. It's just purely our expression of um, kind of our heart and giving what this church does. And so if you are here for the first time, maybe it's a great way for you to look at how this church thinks and handles and does resources and stewardship. So uh, as we, Don leads us in worship, we're going to invite you to come forward uh, to participate in communion, both stations in the front and the back. At the front, we will have gluten-free bread if you need that. Uh, drop your pledge cards in and remain standing as we close our time in worship, but I'm going to invite our servers to come forward as we begin our time in worship uh, together. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this incredible moment to be able to gather here together, to be able to celebrate this incredible um, meal together, this promise that was poured out through Christ, this great joy. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us in Christ to celebrate these truths and to live them out radically. This is the great promise um, for us as followers of Christ. Lord, we ask this morning that you would trans just transfer this passion that you have poured upon Christ, to pour it upon us, to pour upon others that this meal may be a great reminder of what we're called to give away, 
So Lord, as we close our time in, in worship and communion and giving this morning, may this be a powerful reminder of what Paul is calling Philemon to do and to live, to give and love with great joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you feel called and led, please come participate this morning and remain standing and we'll close our time in worship together. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone and change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain he Still white as snow And when before the throne I stand in Him complete Jesus died my soul to save My lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all to him I owe sin that left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow Thank you just for the opportunity to 
take a few moments as a community and celebrate all that you've done for us through Christ. To celebrate this meal, which is an expression of your incredible grace and freedom and forgiveness. To celebrate the promise that you have given us and that we trust you with all of these resources, which actually are yours anyway. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord. Lord, it is ours to shepherd and steward, but it ultimately belongs to you. It should be a great joy to give it away, not just our financial resources, but our time and our love and our forgiveness and our hearts, like every part of life, we should be in love with giving away. Lord, we pray that you would turn us into a people that are just driven by biblical hospitality, that want to see the world experience the forgiveness that comes from knowing and living fully alive in Christ. This is a great, great joy. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship, we pray that you would infuse in our hearts this great joy that we have in Christ, a joy to love well, a, lo a joy to love with intentionality, Lord, and the opportunity and the love to give our lives away. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. Let's close our time in worship this morning.
what he did for us. You took on the grave. So not even death can shake us. The victor has won and heaven has come. Now you're taking us higher. gospel that we believe, people, all right? So actually go out and really do the things that he calls you to do. Really forgive. Really give. Really experience what it means to give with great joy and to love with great joy. And go in peace.